Good morning. It's good to be here. Um, right, we're going to read some scripture together. Um, so, if you want to open your Bibles uh, to James chapter 5, um, it's page 1216 in your Bibles. And we're going to be, as Patrick said, it, it's only one verse we're focusing on today, but I'm just going to read you um, uh, a section of scripture just helps put it in context. So we're going to start at verse 13. Is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly and it, that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring him back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner away from the error of his way will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins. As we come to look at this passage, why don't we pray together? Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word this morning. And we pray that you would nourish us as we study it together. Would you speak to our hearts? Holy Spirit, um, come and fill us afresh and fill your word that we might um, know you more. And see the heart of the Father through this, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So good morning, it's good to be here. Um, as Patrick said, I'm uh, Tom, I'm the curate here. I've only been here a couple of weeks. And uh, I've just moved here with my wife and two daughters from uh, Dorking, so not very far at all. And it's great uh, to be looking at this particular passage When I was a teenager, I was always outdoors. Um, as soon as spring was in the air every year, uh, much to my parents' great annoyance, I always turned our back garden into a cricket pitch. And the biggest bone of contention um, between me and my dad was the, the kind of ball that we used. Now, you might be able to imagine why that was. My dad was adamant that garden cricket was for tennis balls only. Uh, but I was, I was eager to capture the kind of cut and thrust and the realism of a cricket game. So I w insisted that only a genuine, proper, rock-solid red cricket ball would do for garden cricket. Um, and this was a source of regular conflict between us. Dad insisted it was only a matter of time before a window got smashed or someone got hurt. But I'm afraid I just wouldn't be convinced. And there was one particularly hot day that I remember. It was after my exams had finished and I gathered with a group of friends and we organised this huge cricket. I think there were about 20 of us who organised this huge cricket game in the garden. I mean, there wasn't that much space. But it was the game to end all games. It was probably, if I'm honest, it was probably better than the World Cup final last week. I don't know if you saw that. Um, my team had batted first and we'd done okay. But I was particularly annoyed because I, I managed to somehow get out first ball. So when the game switched and it was my turn to bowl, I decided it's time for some revenge. 
it's time to dish out some punishment. Um, so I took an extra long run up. I went all the way back past the vegetable patch, somewhere near the cabbages and the carrots, and I steamed in. I reached the stumps, and I mustered up all my strength to bowl faster than I'd ever done before. Unfortunately, what I gained in speed, I lost in accuracy because the ball slipped out of my hand and it looped way over my friend's head, like about, I don't know, 10 feet above his head. It was that bad. And uh, I vividly remember standing there watching in slow motion as the ball went towards the back window of the house. And it collided with it at about 70 miles an hour. I I don't know if I could bowl that fast. It felt like that. Um, And as long as I live, I will never, ever forget the sound of that window smashing. And it wasn't just any old window. It was like a proper double-glazed window. There was glass everywhere. It was awful. And we all just stopped. And we stared in horror and disbelief. And suddenly all those conversations I'd had with my dad about what ball to use flooded back into my mind. And I felt foolish. I felt ashamed, if I'm honest. But he was out at work, so I had a a bit of a dilemma. I thought maybe I could try and cover it up. Um, I talked with my friends about, we tried to invent some elaborate story. There was a freak gust of wind and it came and blew the ball I think we even talked about involving a wild animal in the story, like a rogue fox or something. But in the end, thankfully, I saw sense. And uh, I decided the only thing to do was to own up to my catastrophic error. So when Dad got home, I told him what had happened. I said sorry. And I accepted that he really had known better about throwing a rock-hard object uh, at speed in close proximity to yards and yards of exposed glass. And do you know what? He was totally fine about it. I expected him to be fuming and dock my pocket money for a year until I pay back the cost of the window. But I think because I was honest, because I was apologetic, he just smiled and said it was okay. And ever since that day, you'll be pleased to hear, I've only ever used a tennis ball for garden cricket. So on that day, confessing worked out well for me. But why? Was it just the right thing to do? Or was there something deeper going on? Well, I want to suggest that that's a, a crucial part of James's message to us this morning. So I'd encourage you to join me in having your Bibles open at that page we looked at on this passage. And as Patrick said, this is um, the first in our summer series on the kind of one another sayings in the Bible. And this week, we're parachuted straight into the letter of James. Um, And to properly understand what he's writing about, I think we need to get some context. So who is James and who's he writing to? Well, it's generally accepted that he's the um, the oldest brother of Jesus. So not older than Jesus. He's younger than Jesus, but the oldest son of Mary and Joseph. Um, and he went on to become quite a key figure in the church in Jerusalem. And as an aside, I've always thought that must be a pretty good name drop, like, to be like, Jesus was my brother. Like, people saying, you know, I went fishing with Peter last week. You know, James is able to say, well, my brother is actually the risen Lord Jesus. Um, But this letter is a bit 
different from a lot of others um, in the New Testament. James, he's not writing to a particular church, so sometimes we read Paul's letters, don't we? And he's writing to the church in Philippi or Corinth. Um, in this case, James is, is writing here to one particular group of believers. He's not, sorry, he's not writing to one particular group of believers. He's writing to the whole scattered church throughout the world. So it's all the believers. So in one sense, I think, it's fair to say, he's writing to us in Claygate. He's writing to you. He's writing to me. So what is his message for us today? Well, the section we're looking at, it comes in the kind of context of some um, general instructions about living together in a community. And this morning, we're going to focus particularly on verse 16 in that passage, where James writes, Therefore, confess your sins to each other, and pray for each other that you may be healed. So when we read that, kind of on first glance, it sort of sounds a bit like James is saying that when we sin, when we mess up, we get sick. It makes us unwell. And the way to get well again is to confess our failings to each other and pray for each other. So is that what he's saying? Do we need to be confessing to each other to avoid getting sick? If I hadn't owned up to my dad about the window, would I have got a cold or something the next day? It sounds quite jarring, doesn't it? It doesn't sound quite right. So what's going on? Well, straight away, it's it's really important for us to understand that at the time that James wrote this letter, there was a kind of prevailing um, Jewish teaching that if somebody had a a sickness or a disability, um, it was likely to be the result of um, a kind of divine judgment, a a godly judgment on their poor past behavior, on their sinfulness. And Jesus, we read about Jesus encountering this kind of attitude in John 9. You don't have to turn to it, but just briefly, Jesus meets a man with a disability and his disciples say to him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his sins or his parents' sins, i.e. somebody must have done something bad for this person to have this condition? But what does Jesus say in response? Neither this man nor his parents sinned. So he's pretty categorical. Sickness and disability are not, definitely not the result of some kind of divine judgment. And yet we do know, don't we, that um, sickness is only in the world in the first place because of our sinfulness. Way back at the beginning of the Bible, it was God's intention that Adam and Eve would live with him forever in the kind of perfect creation that he'd made. Um, And it was only after Adam and Eve's sin, after the fall, that death comes into the world. It wasn't meant to be there. And Paul tells us in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death. And James, this same James, earlier in the same letter, writes, Sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. So there's something wider at work here. The selfish and proud choices that we make don't just separate us from God. They have somehow fractured creation, which means that our bodies decay and they grow old. And we also know, don't we, that we can, we can actually make ourselves sick through the choices that we make. We're only beginning to understand the impact of bad diets and um, bad habits, like smoking too much and drinking too much on our physical health. And the World Health Organization today identifies stress as the number one cause of disability in the whole world. So that could be anything. It could be like back pain, um, headaches, uh, heart attacks, strokes, stomach upsets. And I've got personal experience of, of not anything that extreme. But, 
you know, a few years ago, I was working too hard. I just wasn't resting enough. And I, I was suffering from chronic neck pain. I just couldn't get rid of it. And I had it for a couple of years. And it was only kind of when I started to rest that I realized it was through overworking and stress. And it's the same with mental health as well, too. Things like jealousy and bitterness, guilt um, can lead to depression and anxiety if we hold on to them. Negative patterns of living can make us sick. And it's not even, doesn't stop there. It's not just about us as individuals. Sin breaks relationships as well. When we prioritize our own needs and desires, we, we hurt people around us. And church is definitely not immune from this. I remember a few years ago, I almost catastrophically um, ended a, a friendship. I bro- nearly broke a friendship because I couldn't see past how unreasonable I felt that one, one of my friends was being. I didn't realize that actually he was upset with me and I was being unreasonable towards him. In the end, we just stopped talking to each other. Thankfully, God softened both our hearts and the friendship was restored. But the lesson remains, sin breaks relationships. So, we definitely can't say, I must be sick because I've sinned. But we know that somehow sin still affects us. It separates us from God, it leaves us physically and mentally broken, and it harms our relationships. And that means that as individuals and a whole community here this morning, um, we desperately need God's forgiveness. We need his healing to make us whole. So how do we get this? That's the key question, isn't it? Well, I think there are three key things this morning that James is drawing to our attention in just this one, it's even just the first half of that verse, verse 16. And let's look at them together. So number one, first thing he says, verse 16, confess your sins. When we name something, we take away the shame that surrounds it and we remove its power over us. I've never actually asked him, but I suspect the reason that my dad was all right about the window thing was because I was honest about it. If I try to cover it up, I'm pretty sure he would have been really upset. And I know I would have felt incredibly guilty about it. By naming what I'd done, I stripped my stupid, selfish, stubborn action of any power or influence it had over me. But crucially, my honesty enabled my dad to forgive me. So by confessing to him, that made our relationship right again. So number one, confess your sins. Number two, to each other. We're not meant to do this on our own. We're not asked to do it in a wrestling, somehow wrestling in a prison of our own private failings. It's not just the naming of sin that breaks this hold over us, it's the naming of it to other people. When we dare to trust people enough to be vulnerable and say what we struggle with, then we can find healing and wholeness. I meet with a group of four or so close friends um, for this kind of purpose, and at the end of every time we have together, we always ask one another, what's the one question that you wouldn't want us to ask of you? That's a way of keeping each other accountable. But I couldn't do that on my own. I couldn't interrogate myself in that way. So one, confess your sins. Two, T, 
to each other. And three, the next bit of verse 16, pray for each other. It's not enough just to confess our sin and be forgiven. We need to be filled afresh every day with the Spirit of God, with his presence, with his peace, with his light shining in us so that we avoid falling back into bad habits. To be whole and well in Jesus, we've got to be supporting one another and specifically praying for one another. So we know from this verse then, number one, confess our sins. Number two, to each other. Number three, pray for one another. So then we can be healed. But is it really that simple? Are confession and prayer actually a cure for our shortcomings and our sicknesses? Well, here's the problem. We've already read, haven't we, from Romans um, that says the wages of sin is death. doesn't matter how much we confess, how much we pray, how much we receive God's forgiveness. We're not perfect. Sin is in the world and we can't live forever. So how can we hope to get it right? Well, there's some good news this morning. And the good news is that there is one who is perfect One who's lived like us, but unlike us, he has lived the perfect life, free from selfishness, free from sin, the kind of thing that we struggle with every day. Confession isn't the cure. Jesus is the cure. He he is completely God. He's completely human. He's taken on my cricket ball, window-smashing, overworking, friend-rejecting, deepest, most hidden shame. He's taken on my sin. He's taken on your sin. He's taken on all our sin. And he's beaten it by going to the cross and rising to life again. Jesus is the one who restores us to God. He's the one who heals us. And he's the one who gives us eternal life. Now, don't get me wrong. Confession is vital Prayer is vital. Doing this together as community is vital. But we don't do it in our own strength. We do it in the knowledge that Jesus makes it possible. And he's the healer. It's not the act of doing it. He, he's the one who heals. And it doesn't mean that we turn into sinless, perfect people overnight, free from every illness and every ache and pain but it does mean that we're restored into relationship with the one who made us and we grow in relationship with each other. So as I come to finish this morning, you might be asking yourself, well, that all sounds great, but how do I do it? Which is a fair question. And it's not easy because we're talking about you know, personal, vulnerable stuff, aren't we? And you can't fake it. You can't just wander down to Waitrose tomorrow morning and start chatting to the person on the checkout about your kind of deepest shame. It doesn't work like that. And each of us will be different. You need to find a way that works for you. Like me, you might find it helpful to find a group of two or three people that you can just talk to and be honest with. Or you might have a close friend who lives miles away just completely outside this community that actually it helps you to be honest with them 
You might be somebody who, who might benefit from having a spiritual director, someone who's kind of close to you but challenging you from a slight distance and prompting you in how to go deeper in your faith. You might want to come and talk to somebody here on the staff team, to Patrick um, or to Richard or me or Stuart or any of their kind of pastoral support, pastoral care team. You might be visiting this morning, and if so, I'd really encourage you to seek some prayer ministry if you're struggling with something. But however we do this, and I include myself in this, however we do this, we need to do it. We can't just ignore it. This is a command, isn't it, in in this verse, James 5.16. We're commanded to confess our sins to one another and to pray for one another. So let's help each other to find the right way to do it. It's not about writing a list of everything we've ever done wrong, scouring our past for every lie we've ever told or every window we've ever smashed. It's about being real and naming the things that we struggle with. Maybe for you it's a jealousy thing. There's a better car in next door's drive or something like that. Maybe for you it's an addiction thing. You can't stop doing something. Or maybe like me, you struggle to set your limits well and you end up overworking and becoming stressed. Whatever thing it is, it doesn't matter. God's seen it and heard it all before. He already knows it anyway. And when we name it to each other, we give it to God. And when we give it to God, he hears and he forgives. Let's have the courage to be honest and vulnerable with each other. Naming our weaknesses, naming our shame and naming our mess-ups. And let's have the courage to listen and pray with others um, without, as they do that, without sitting in judgment on them. This summer, let's have the courage to be accountable to one another. Whatever it is, let's name it, let's give it to God, and let's pray for him to fill us afresh. Amen.